Good evening and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Laura McKillop. We'd like to start by thanking Juro for their ongoing support in bringing you our live weekly Q&A. Tonight we're fortunate enough to be speaking with um, Travis Scott from Scott Rose Contracting. Travis will be picking who he thinks has asked the best question of the night and they will win a bag of Enduro Plus high energy food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Hey Trav, how are you going? Yeah, good thanks. How are you guys? Yeah, good, thank you. Good, thanks buddy. How was your day? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, very muddy. We've uh, had about an inch of rain overnight. Uh, we're working down in South Gippsland, crutching, pre-lambing, crutching at the moment. So, yeah, it was very boggy and uh, and, and very wet today. So we've got hail uh, and all sorts today. So, yeah, very great fun. Oh, you want to be careful, mate. Don't do any damage to the pretty face of yours. No, that's right. No, I, I did actually. I nearly scalped myself uh, yesterday on the crutching trailer. First time doing dogs myself uh, and pushing up to the boys and uh, tried to help one of the boys pull a sheep back into the crutching trailer and headbutted the side of it. So, yeah, as you know, mate, you can appreciate it without any cover on top. Um, it doesn't take much to knock a bit of skin off. I can, mate. And, and you mentioned the first time working dogs in a while, mate. You want to talk us through that a bit? Yeah, so um, oh, we can probably go right back to the start later on. But uh, when I started contracting, I thought a great opportunity to work dogs more often on farm. You don't get to work dogs. It's crutching, shearing, landmarking, things like that. And so as a contractor, I get to work dogs more often. Uh, and so, yeah, so that's how it started off. And then I tried to encourage young folks to get on the handpiece and do foot pairing or crutching and they'd rather work dogs. So I was stuck on the handpiece for the 14 years I've been running my own business and um so this year uh managed to round up another crutcher so run a two-stand crutching trailer for mate of mine jake last and so yeah so it's uh it's good so i'm actually getting to work dogs for the first time properly uh as a contractor uh it took me 14 years to get on the ground but uh yeah so the boys haven't complained too much uh, you build it and they will come mate uh, yes <laughs> get some guess uh what you originally wanted anyways yeah that's right so do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where you sort of grew up and go from there? Yeah, so I grew up in Cranbourne South, so Dad's been a truck driver or earth moving his whole life and Mum worked at a golf club, um, one of five boys, uh, I'm right in the middle, um, so yeah, no no livestock background or anything like that, Mum and Dad have got 10 acres and I went to a high school that showed coloured sheep and uh, they were coloured corridales and um so that was good. I went along and I, I, I started doing that. I bought a couple of sheep because Dad thought it would be handy on the 10 acres. He wouldn't have to slash as much and things. So we got, you know, a few coloured sheep and, and then I wanted to show them. So I, uh, I'd go out with a bucket and I'd rattle a bucket to try and catch the sheep and, and they conned on pretty quick about if they got too close to me on in the morning that I'd, I'd grab them and throw them in the back of the trailer. So... I uh, I had a show there one day and a fellow was doing a dog demo and he's working pigs through a crowd of, of people and uh, with three or four Kelpies. I thought it was pretty cool. So I went and spoke to him and he had a pup there, uh, uh, one pup left out of a litter. And, and so my dad uh, wasn't real keen. It was 250 bucks and dad wasn't real keen. And he said, oh, no, no, you won't look after it. You won't feed it. And I'll have to do it all. And so it was two days of convincing. In the end, I thought, shit, I'm 18. I really should be making some adult decisions. So I paid the money and I bought the pup uh, mm -hmm. as much as dad didn't want me to. And and then the bloke said, uh, it was Jack Briscoe as a fella. I bought it off. And um, he said, oh, Neil McDonald's coming to do a school uh, later on this year at, at my place, so come and come and do that. 
So that's how it started. Uh, so I went and did the school, three-day school. The pup took two and a half days to actually get started. It was about 10 months by this stage, and, and then it finally started. And um, once I, I got going, I went home and I did all of Neil's, uh, what he'd instructed us to do. So I got my coloured sheep and I got my six drums and I was doing figure eights and everything. And um, so then I kept applying for farm jobs, but no one had put me on long before, you know, because I'm old, long before the internet or anything like that, the, the weekly times you'd apply for jobs in, on farms and blokes would ring and say, no, nah, you've got no experience, you're not from the right area, you're not off a farm, so I'm not going to give you a job. And a bloke in Mansfield gave me a start. And uh, I bullshitted my way into the job. I, I told him I ran a sheep stud and, and I had a, a, a working dog and a young pup, which I did, but she'd never seen more than 20 sheep. And so when I first started there, I, I went out in the piece of gun, get those ewes, there's, there's 400 ewes out in the paddock there, bring them in, we're going to drench them. So I, I went out to the gate and I opened the gate and I looked at the sheep and I thought, shit, what do I do? Do I, do I send the dog from here or do I go around on the motorbike and get them together and then put the dog on the ground? And what do I do? And, so it was a big learning curve for me, but I, the best part, that dog, I'd love to have that dog back again today because she was amazing. So um, Fudge or Darren McCainch and Jack used to do a bit of breeding and this bitch, uh, she was very free moving, but she backed, she barked, she worked the side of the race, she was beautiful in the paddock, she worked in the hills wonderfully, she'd bite cattle on the head um, and, and bark on command and, and she was absolutely wonderful. So she made me look really good in the beginning and made my job really easy to, to learn. But um so that's how I got my first farm job. But when I first got that pup and I did Neil's school and I, I coloured sheep, I when I was I was struggling at school, I was getting picked on a lot uh, for going to the farm and everything like that. And and so Dad was driving a truck for a fellow, had a farm at Swiss Creek up in the hills near Romeo. And so they sent me up there for six weeks. And an old fella, Bert Lee, um, he – I went up there and I spent some time with him. He's an old bushy um, and he made whips and he was the local fella. He trained dogs for people and little did I know then but know now that he actually won a hell of a lot of dog trials and was part of starting dog trials in Victoria uh, in East Gippsland. And so uh, I, I saw Bert and um, anyway, he took me under his wing and I got this pup and I went up and he had these coloured sheep. He said, these are dog food to me. These mean nothing. So he said, come and get some of these black sheep and take them home. You can show them. And I, bought, I was turned up and dog on the back of the ute really caught his eye. He said, what's the dog and what's its breed? And I got it off and he said, right, oh, young fella. He said, do this for the next 12 months and come back and get some more black sheep. He said, and then you can, I'll give you the next step. So that was, little did I know how it was going to pave its way for me later on. But yeah, so that was how I, I got started and I got the first job in Mansfield and I was there for three and a half years. And then I got offered a livestock manager's job about, Rokewood way out towards Skipton um, and I was there for a few years and, and yeah, so, yeah, that was the start. It was a pretty cool story, yeah. Uh, um, not, yeah, coming from the city and, and not having any agricultural experience, it, for me it was, and, and I find it now running contracting business, most of the people that come to me are people that work in the city. Anyone on land doesn't want to work on the land. Um, or come from the land, don't want to work on the land. It's all the city people that want to come and have the experience. So most of my workers all come from there. So, yeah, wow. Why do you think that is? Um, probably droughts and things like that, and seeing mum and dad struggle. But also too, I think it's the 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 not knowing. A young fella I manage farm for. He, you know, I could use him as a bit of an example. He he doesn't really love the farm but likes the off-farm stuff and so maybe the attraction to go to the city for more opportunity and things like that job-wise and things possibly um but but yeah I, 
we're in a generation of people that like life experience. Most of the guys that come through my system come from DELP or CFA or something like that and they're, you know, uni students or things like that and they, they want life experience. So some come for a year or some come back two or three years in a row, but they come along and they want to know where their meat comes from, where the, where the wool for their clothing comes from, uh, and they want that life experience. So when they – one fella in particular last year, he was he was wonderful and he came along. He's done piggery, he's done chickens, and he's done lamb because he said his uni mates at, at school would all uh, talk about how bad farmers are to their animals and things like that. And he said, well, I'm going to have an educated opinion on this, so I'm actually going to go out and do it. So he spent the year with me last year mulesing and everything – he got to the end where he was doing balls and tails for me and and Gadare and he was wonderful and he went away going this is this is great but he said I'm not seeing any mistreatment at all he said everyone really cares they're doing the right thing so I think education is a big thing but yeah so city people young generation these days are about life experience yeah absolutely yeah. and how raw are you getting some of those people that they come in um. So we had two girls uh, not last season, season before, come in. Uh, one father had been a shearer and uh, and the other one had no idea at all. So the guys usually make me um, bite the testicles out of a lamb at some stage uh, in front of them. So so I, I did that in front of the girls and the girl who hadn't uh, had any, like her father wasn't the shearer, she, she thought it was really cool. <laughs> Yeah. And the girl whose father was a shearer, she she did the week and then never came back. <laughs> so they get them pretty raw, um, but I'd rather them like that. You know, they they've got no bad bad habits, and and like I said, you know, doing the industry we're in, whether it be dogs or livestock, it, it's about spreading the right word, I believe, and um, you know, first hand experience. So, no, absolutely, mate. And since kicking off, mate, have you ever considered doing anything different? Um, sometimes it crosses my mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I always funny enough. Like dad's, you know, moving and truck driving, and and I've had a dabble in truck driving along the way. Um, but uh, yeah, I always always pictured myself to have a, my own excavator and bulldozer was actually what I wanted to do long term was what what my goal was. So some days uh, it can probably get you down, and you think that's probably where I want to be. But no, look, I, I really enjoy it. I I love what I love about the stock work and why I've gone contracting I manage a place as well but I I haven't gone into full-time management is because the dogs is what gets me it's it's getting something that doesn't understand a word of English and being able to stand in one spot and get it to go left right off walk up speak or, or find animals and uh, move them by words uh, that part really gets me I the the mental capacity they have to retain information is amazing and so that's that's the part I love about it most yeah, that's no, pretty special, isn't it? Yeah. yeah trust me, being on, being on the tractors is boring, mate. You've, maybe you chose a heaps better uh, um, career. So. Yeah, look, uh, there's plenty plenty of people uh, that want to burn diesel. I said the young bloke I managed the farm for, if I give him a job on the tractor, he loves it. Um, uh, but, yeah, if we're drenching sheep, he's just like, how quick, how long is this going to take? Can we hurry up and get this done? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, tractors are definitely easy, but for me they're boring. Like I said, livestock is it's such a challenge. You go to war, you know, with a team of dogs on a, on a mop of sheep, and and they, you know, the sheep don't want to go where you want them to go half the time. So you've really got to have a game plan ahead of you, or else you know you can get caught out. So absolutely. And what style or type of dog do you prefer these days? And has that changed? 
probably has over time. Like I said, that the early dogs I had, I was very lucky to come by them at the time and they taught me a hell of a lot. Uh, doing the line of work I do, I, I, I like a dog with real good paddock skills. I find that those dogs that respect their sheep and stay off, having dogs that niggle sheep and are constantly moving in the yard and working too close, doing the contracting work like I do, um, that's the time that a sheep will peel off the back and bang into a gate and then the farmer walks around the corner about that time. And So those dogs, they've got to be able to respect stock and leave them alone when there's bums facing them, but when the heads face them, I, I, I like a good a dog with a real good clean head bite. Um, I don't. I usually only have two dogs in my term. probably take at the moment, I've got 10 with me um, this week. Uh, I usually take eight or 10. Um, I've got two that bark uh, in the trailer and then and, and the rest are all silent. Um, I get all my yard work done with, you know, pretty much all silent dogs. But if there's bums facing, the dogs must get off and leave them alone uh, and not nickel. That's really important for me. Um, but when the when the sheep turns and faces and wants to take the dogs on, I can turn a blind eye to that. And just whatever you've got to do, get the job done. But they've got to be clean head bites and then leave them alone once they can't harass them. So the dogs that I used to have were really all-rounder, were made all-rounders, I believe, from the line of work. I had a bloke I worked for, we went from 5,000 sheep to 30,000 sheep in two years uh, and from 300 head of cattle to 2,000 head of cattle and they were spread all over lease blocks all over Victoria and New South Wales and so they were bought in stock that weren't educated and things. So the dogs learnt really quickly to you know, be all-rounders. They had to do hills, yards, pad, and I had four at the time doing all that line of work, um, and so they had to do everything, um, and they just learnt through sheer hard work to be good all-rounders. I don't believe that champions are bred, they're made. You've got to have the right the right makeup, but but training and opportunity makes champions, yeah. And working over 14 years, mate, working on so many different types of stock, mate, what, what's one of the biggest things you've learned? Um, yeah, you've got to have a good eye. There's there's probably plenty of dog people out there, but there's not a lot of great stockmen, um, you know, in, in my experience with that. Um, there's plenty of people who want to bash and crash, uh, but I find less is more. Um, so the guys that have worked for me or know me well enough, uh, if the going gets tough, less sheep in the pen um, and, and, you know, more productivity. So don't fill the pen right up and get back and bark and top knotting dogs to, to smash them through. If they get really tough going, um, just put a few less sheep in the pen so that they all get exposed to the dog and the sheep choose to leave. Um, I get accused of being very lazy in the yards these days because I don't jump up and down and hoo-ha and yell and scream and whatever um, because for me, that's it's just wasted energy. Like I said, if I, put, if I put 10 sheep in the pen instead of 30 and they all get to see the dog and the sheep just go, you know what, we're just going to leave. And that's why those nice eye dogs that have got a bit of strength in them um, with no noise, I find 30 sheep bark at the tail end force and the ones at the front all turn around and want to look at what's going on behind them and I don't get any flow. And then when there's no flow through the handlers, I'm not making money and I'm paying my guys an hourly rate and I'm losing money. So that's the short and the long of that, really. It's got to be yeah. productive. And the farmer doesn't want to pay. Yeah, he goes, I'm paying you an hourly rate, mate. Oh, it's going to cost me money. You know, you're standing around dog trialing, so they've got to, it's got to be efficient. Yeah, and have you noticed the uh, difference in stock being educated over, you know, the last, say, decade uh, and easier to move, like seeing dogs more often, people more often? Yeah, most definitely. I, I do see a, a, a big part with, uh, you know, motorbike uh, farms where they don't use a lot of dogs. 
and it can be both ways. So the sheep will react very well to dogs and want to move off dogs because they're not used to seeing them, but they, they won't look for a gateway because they're used to being tutored and chased and, and hunted uh, and they're not used to being able to leave. So you get those two different reactions, but certainly educated cattle makes a massive difference if you've got, you know, they've been educated as weaners to handle later on with calves on them. Uh, they certainly don't kick up as much uh, stink, but the, yeah, sheep, because I, and I've always said this, uh, you know, like I said, guys that have worked for me or know me will have heard me say, uh, they go to a dog trial. I, on any given day, I'll get the job done. I might not win, but I always get round. You know, as a contractor, I've got to do that, whether it's composites, merinos or weathers or bear shorn sheep or woolly sheep. I have to get the job done because if I don't, I don't get paid. So my dogs aren't the best and they're not always the cleanest or, or anything like that, but they've... It, it, I've got to get the job done and it's got to be satisfactory because if I don't, I don't get paid. Yeah, and you said you've obviously got a few dogs there. Do you like, is your team similar or have you got a sort of a different dog for this job and that job or how do you sort of like to set up your dog team? Yeah, I certainly have specialists. Um, old Sooty, oh, Soot's 10 um, and he probably hasn't done the amount of work that Kev's done but because uh, Sooty... Sooty's what I call my farmer's line of dogs. He's he's very loose moving. So in the yards, if I'm working lambs or something like that, he's no good because they they just he's constantly moving. So he's probably longevity wise, he's actually moving pretty good for a ten year old dog. Whereas Kev's he stayed at home um, while I'm away this week, but uh, much to his disgust actually. But um, he's been he's been howling on the chain. He actually popped the chain on Monday morning after I left. Kerry found him wandering around, dragging the chain around. She wasn't happy to be left without him because he's the most important thing in his mind. But um, so yeah, so Sooty Sooty's a looser working dog and uh, a backing dog. He does all my rams through the crutch and trailer. He did forty rams through it to this afternoon at ten year old and um, and and ploughed on through. Um, he's going on to composites tomorrow and they're going to be even crueler on him again. But uh, Bo's backing, barking, um, you know, Cruz's eye, never barked in her life. Um, beautiful paddock dog, but still they've got to back. All my dogs have to back no matter what. Uh, if I get a blockage, I've got to be able to unblock it. So that all the dogs have got to back, um, some with more purpose than others. But I don't want really any more than two dogs in my team that have got the same work style because to me, I can't afford to get to a job and say, I'm sorry, Mr. Farmer, but your sheep don't suit my dog so I've got to go home um, and dog trialing over the years has been like that I could turn up to a dog trial when I was you know I had, I had four good open dogs going and they were four different types on any given day I had the right dog for the right sheep um, really hard to find a dog that suits all sheep um, but yeah I, I usually two uh, is what I go for two of the same work style the, the ones that favor that you know, certain style, um, but yeah, they've all got to back. They've all got to give the mob respect and get off, and um, and yeah, do it when I say, and then I leave you alone. So, and and talking about how important backing is to you, do you are they always backing, or will you work the outside of the race at all? Yeah, it depends where I am. Um, uh, the older dogs, naturally, when I'm trialing, so I don't I don't work too much on the outside with dogs I want to trial because I I tend to find it it causes a lot of shoulder biting and um, and tight work on dogs. Get you know they. They, they don't like to work any harder than we do. So if we give them an easy option, if I'm at a trial and I lean on a dog and his temperament's a little bit softer and easy, you know, oh, boss was happy last time I jumped out and worked the side, he'll go and do that. Or a sheep breaks and he grabs it on the shoulder. Uh, so typically if I, it's a dog that I value, I want to trial, um, I'll, 
I'll make him stay inside because all the judges say at trials that's where they want the dog to be. Um, if it's a dog, I don't think we'll make a trial or whatever. And I, I think he's got the capacity to work the side properly without um, – if he nags one sheep too long and breaks the flow, then that causes me a problem. And if he if he bites and hangs on and rips a hole in the shoulder, that's a problem too. So it's got to be the right temperament dog to work the outside. And then Bark doesn't always get it. Like where we are at the moment, crutching composites and, and first cross ewes down here in the boggy mud and, and, the, and the wet, we're, we're six weeks off lambing, they're sulky. They'll just lean on the side of the race and the dog can bark all he likes. I don't care how powerful his bark is and they just won't move. you got to reach through and grab them by the cheek and nearly tear them through the rails before they go, oh, you mean you're serious so the dogs that stay inside the race and walk underneath them that's what gets the flow so 90 percent of the time i would do all of my race work and contract work feeding handlers inside the race because that's the most efficient running straight over the top not so much all my dogs have to drop down and walk underneath because that's what gets flows on these cranky old girls um cost me in dog trials cost me winning an australian um you know dropping down and going underneath but um, at work, that's what makes me money. Yeah. And there's just a question on from that from Rick Freeman. He said, um, first he's a contractor, given that feedlots, et cetera, dogs, um, to his understanding, have to be muzzled, how do you help them show some move along the force, so to speak? Um, the muzzled dogs can't bite the top knot as easily, so it's all about position and bark, or what's your opinion on that? Yeah, so it is about position. I start all my young dogs with the muzzle on because one day if I sell them or keep them and I'm going to need to, I have to be able to put it on and they've got to be able to take it. So all the young ones are educated early on. Um, but, yeah, it's about position. That's that's the big one. And if you've done – the people that have done dog schools with me, I bang on about the three Ps. It's position, position, position. It's about you and the dog's position on the stock to create the flow. Um, and and it muzzles, muzzles – like I said, I, I value a dog that bites the head, but that's when the sheep's, you know, wanting to take the dog on. I don't want the dog to sneak around the side of the mob and grab it on the cheek and pull it down and then let it go. Uh, that's not creating flow to me. So the dog's got to have enough purpose to it, uh, you know, to be able to shift stock too. So people talk about walk-up strength and things like that. He's got to be in the right position and have enough bluff that the sheep want to move. But, uh, you know, teaching those dogs that aren't natural backers to back, come up and drop through and go underneath as they walk past sheep, they go, oh, well, yeah, you know, that can cause enough bluff to create a flow in that situation. So, yeah, backing and barking and 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 top knotting and biting and not all be all and end all to get flow. Sometimes, and these cranky girls here, bow top knotted one in particular mob here this morning came up and hit them, and they kept sucking back into the mob. So I put him away and I got Sooty out instead, and he come up and dropped down. He's a straight black dog. He just drops down and walks through at a smooth pace and they do not like him one bit and he was the dog for the job. So rather than flogging Bo and making him work too hard or do anything, I can just rotate them. You know, you're lucky with having an options like that too. But, yeah, so, no, for, for Rick's, Rick's question, you really need to have a look at what your impact the dog has on the sheep and if you can cut them into smaller mobs, great. If you can't and, you you know, you're working in a bigger mob, it's about position on the mob, about you and the dog working as a team. For me, I do a lot of dog trialling, but certainly at work I don't stand still and hang on to the gate, no. How do you teach sure? them to drop in? 
uh, find a gap. So, so I teach them to back first, and I have a certain way I teach the backing. Um, and then once I teach them to back, and I'm on the handler, like I said, for years I'll be on the handpiece, and I'd say, you know, to Jasmine or something, I'd say, now this dog's going to come up, all right, and he's going to come. So I wait till there's a gap. So to teach them to drop in, so I wait till there's a gap in the flow, and then I'll call the dog up, and the dog will come up and drop in that hole. And if he tries to jump over the sheep, he'll get mowed down. And so he learns to just duck his head and go underneath them. And so I wait for that gap. So don't try and teach it in a race where there's nothing. Uh, like so when you're teaching backing or something and they're 10 tight sheep, you, it's, you can't get him to go down. Some dogs naturally want to burrow down and go through, but I wait for a gap and I call the dog up. And what that does, it does a couple of things. I'm, I'm time poor. Uh, I've got a family. I manage a farm with 10,000 merinos and I run a contracting business as well. And I try and breed a few chooks too and do some dog trials on the side. So... When I'm training, I uh, when I'm at work, I I try and tap into some of those things. So if I want the dog to learn something, like I said, I'll I'll wait till there's a gap in the flow, and then I call the dog up, and he drops in. And most of my training's done at work. I've I've got a facility at home now. I can do it. But over the year, probably the first ten years of contracting, I never had anything to train. It was all done at work. So when the farmer would leave and go, I'm going down the paddock now. I'd say to the, the guys, I'd say, right, go to the ute and get them pups out and drop them in and we'll start training. <laughs> when they go, I'll be back about lunchtime and then I'll go and get Kevin and, and, and Sooty out or Kevin Cruz and they'd come around the corner and go, oh, isn't this really good? It's all small. So that's how they all got trained, all them young ones, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. And, um, those dogs that weren't so keen at backing, how, how do you rent those dogs up? So I went to a Greg Prince school years ago and so um, I – I've done done a few different schools over the years and, and smashed some of that together into my personal experience. So I stole what Greg did and then added a bit. And so I prime put 15 or 20 in a race and they've got to be able to hop up in the back of the ute or hop in the kennel or hop up on something. They've got to know what the word hop up means and have them on a lead rope and, and drag them to the second sheep. And so they've got to constantly go to the second sheep. And once they – and look, uh, you know, at times, if the sheep, if the dogs give creating a little bit of resistance, um, I'll still drag him up the front and, and show him that second sheep. I want him to look for that happy place. I don't want the happy place down the back of barking and 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 you know top nodding sheep down the back. I want him at the front because that's where I need him. So I'll drag him up the front and I'll drag him up the front and drag him up the front to the point where he's getting up there very freely. And then I'll unclip the lead rope and I want him to beat me to the front and stand on that second sheep and wait for me to get up there. And the secret to it all is every time he gets up the front, I don't send him back. I pick him up and carry him back and put him at the back again. Because for me, backing's two separate things. It's up and back. So dogs don't want to do anything any harder than we do. So if I give him an easy option that if he comes up and a sheep jumps on him and he goes back, next time I call him up, he's going to get halfway up and he's going to turn around and go back and he's not going to get up and get the job done. While I'm on a handler, that's no good to me. I'm making no money while there's no sheep coming out of the handler. So I want him to get to the second sheep. I don't want him on the front one because if that runs out the drench race at the dog trial and tows him out, then I'm in trouble. So the second sheep for me, because I can stop him. Once I teach him that, I can stop him anywhere along the, the line, but he's got to get up to that second sheep first freely without the lead rope, and I carry him back every time. And then once he's doing that, then I teach back, because he already knows back, because I've already done basic left and right commands already before we've got to this point. Backing and barking is the last thing I teach. Left and right and stop and walk up is all done out in the paddock before I get to this point. So he already knows what back is. I've got to make him want to get up the front because I make that the happy place. So he gets all the praise on the second sheep, not down the back for the bullshit and the top nodding and the biting and the zhuzh zhuzh and stuff like that. That's all crap. 
um, that's, you know, you're just selling false hope. All they do is they get up there and when you lean on them and you say, get up here now, they'll get on the back two sheep and they'll grab one on the top knot and they'll do that and then they'll stay down the back and then you're touching sheep. I, I hate touching sheep. That's uh, I, I, I don't feed dogs, so I've got to push sheep up a race. So, so yeah, so second sheep, teach him second sheep. And if that's, this is another, uh, this is another saying, kids and dogs, I've got, I've got young kids, training kids and dogs is exactly the same. They're not born arseholes, they're taught to be arseholes. They only get away with what we let them get away with. So if we, if we accept mediocre performance early on, whatever we teach them in the first 12 months of their training is concrete for life. So if we let them just sort of calf come up and, uh, oh, that's okay, I'll work on it later, when you lean on them, that's what they'll revert back to later on. Yeah. Definitely. Love it. Love it. Mate, and um, you've mentioned a few dogs there, especially your first one. Mate, who do you reckon is, most, is your most influential dog to you and why? what makes them so important to you? Oh, well, old Chloe was was great. She was my best mate. So I bought her to work. Uh, I was fencing contracting at the time, so she was just coming along to work as a mate. Um, but probably most influential dog, and she was great all rounder. She was really, she was fantastic and bred me some nice pups. But, um, and, and well, Sooty, Sooty's a grandson of hers, but, and that goes back, yeah, she was, what was she born, 98 or something, 99. So, um, yeah, so Sooty's only a third generation from her. So, um, but, Probably old Jack. So I went to a Dandenong. I was heavily involved with the Dandenong Ag Society, my wife and I, and uh, our girlfriend at the time. And and so I had Chloe, and we went to. So they knocked down the Dandenong sale yards, and they they bought the sale ring, and they put it at the showgrounds, and they had a charity auction to raise money for the show society. And a fella bought along a pup, and he was from Echuca, and um, was the last pup left out of the litter, which is a bit of a trend we'll get onto later on. So he was the last pup left of the litter. He turned up there. He didn't look much, and, and Kerry fell in love with him. And and at the time, I wasn't making a lot of money. I was like a, as a fencing contractor. I think I was on about three hundred bucks a week, and I had a Land Cruiser to pay for and whatever else. And and so I uh, I was there, and the auction went on, and I paid one hundred and sixty dollars for him, and uh, and I didn't know, even know how I was going to pay for it. But anyway, so this dog was. Oh, he had a bit of border collie back in him, but he, his mother was a smoky blue bitch and the dairy farmer across the road had a red and tan dog. So they put them together and somehow we ended up with this black and tan pup. And he said, look, he said, we've done this joining before and everyone loves the pups, but they're all dairy farmers. So they just go, you know, off you go. And that's about the kind of comments I had from. So anyway, so we, I took this dog and when I moved to the job at Mansfield when I bullshit him away and I had you know, this trained bitch and I had this pup and he was six months had absolutely no interest whatsoever in stock until he was about 12 months. And all the blokes locally said, oh, you know, they hated him. I'd take him to work every day and he was a lovely natured dog. And like I said, he had a bit of border collie and you could see in his back end and that in his nature, he was, you know, the way he moved was, he was, he was a real kind sort of dog. And, and the blokes would say, you go to football on Saturday, mate, you come home, you'd be dead on the chain. I'm sick of seeing that dog. It just drives me insane. You know, like he does nothing you know, and you still feed that bastard. And then, after about 12 months, we, we were in a bit of drought and we were taking sheep out uh, on, on the back lane and I used the, the manager's dog. And, and so anyway, the dog, I'd send him out, drop him on the ground and he'd go and he'd stop. He'd look at the sheep, look at me, look at the house and he'd run across the paddock, go back home. And he did this for two weeks or so. And I dropped him on the ground there one day and he went out and he stopped and he looked at me, looked at the sheep, looked at the house and I went, oh, here we go. Anyway, and he just come back around behind the motorbike and he went the other way and he stopped and he looked at me, looked at the house, looked at the sheep. 
And then it was literally four months, I reckon, after that. I had him left and right. I had him barking on command and, and I was teaching him to back. And we had a local trial at Mansfield when they used to run the state championships there, yard championships. They had a local trial there. So I ran I ran him in the local trial and um, all the local blokes, about 30-odd local dogs there. And, uh, and yeah, so anyway, so these blokes are all going to shoot him and everything. And So he comes second and that bitch I had come first. And Craig Kelly was best mates with the bloke I worked with. He was ex-Collingwood footballer. You guys wouldn't know who he is, but he was a full back for Collingwood and he was a mountain of a man. And he grabbed these blokes by the headlock. He said, I think you blokes owe this young fella a beer. That dog you were going to shoot actually rounded you blokes up. And so he had such beautiful feel on his stock. And I started trialling him and I... I thought I knew everything about trialling. I'd watched these blokes in the state championships every year at Mansfield in the early 2000s, and I thought I knew, and I'd tell him to do stuff, and we wouldn't win. And then uh, uh, Lloyd Parks, Corey Latham, uh, two old fellas that were, uh, sort of saw up at Mansfield and, and things anyway, and they said, oh, young fellow, they said, just, just shut up and leave him alone. So I shut up and left him alone and watched him and he went bang, bang, bang and put him in the pen on his own and he treated his stock so beautifully and they moved off him so nicely. And anyway, so I, I started shutting up and leaving him alone and watching him and going, oh, is that how you work stock? So probably old Jack was the one that had the most influence over over my the way I treat stock and the way I read stock and, and, and everything. Yeah. He's, he was fantastic. Rod Cavill said one year back when he was 12, he was still one open yards when he was 12 and Buster was at his prime. And, um, you know, like there was some bloody good dogs around him. Joe had some great dogs around him still winning opens then. And Rod said, I hate judging this dog. He said, he does nothing but gets the job done. <laughs> so that's, i run with that. I, they're the dogs I try and pick now that do nothing, yeah. but just don't want to be there. There's a question on from that from Kane Gardner. Um, who has been your most underrated dog in the last five to ten years and why? In my own team or is um, – oh, I don't know. Probably Rosie's the one um, and the people that know me and people that have worked for me will, will know why. So I, I, what I do is I go through my dogs every year and I'll write a list uh, of, of paddock work, yard work, um, you know, different things, attributes and traits I do, uh, and I'll rate them out of 10. Rosie is a dog that drives everybody insane that works for me, including myself. Uh, she's by Buster out of Cruise, Adam James's Buster out of Cruise. Beautiful paddock dog. She casts a fine stock, as she could do with a rocket upper and just get a little, get there a little bit quicker. But she'll air scent sheep and she'll find sheep that are laying under a tree and she'll find things that other dogs won't find, but she's got no intensity whatsoever about what she does and and excuse me for the ones that are watching that are blonde but she is as blonde as she'll get there and she's oh she'd be seven or yeah she'd be seven or eight now and, and you go I want you to go left and she'll go right and I go stop yeah. left and you'll go oh that left oh no <laughs> and you'll do the head toss and I'll go, okay, I'll go left and go across but she she will also, if if I'm working in the yards, I can send her way up and hop in a drench race. She'll come back through. She'll back on the crutch and trailer and she'll feed the crutch and trailer, no worries, through composites with no arguments whatsoever. Um, she'll work cattle uh, nicely. She's not a real strong head biter, but she will bite cattle. Um, and so, but she's the most hated dog in my team. Anyone that works for me, she's the last dog anyone gets because she just appears to be arrogant, arrogant blondness. Like she just... People say, I want you to do this now, but they'll go to Bo or go to Kev because they say, here, come here, and they come flying up and go, I'll deal with it. And so, yeah, 
and they like they like the action. But yeah, so Rosie's probably the most underrated dog in my team. And every time I do that list and I rate them out of ten, she comes out on top every time over all the other dogs. If I'm honest with what I rate rate them at, she comes out on top every time. It drives me insane because I don't believe she's my real kingpin. But anyway, that's what it says. <laughs> Mate, and uh, obviously you do a little bit of, or do some paddock work as well, but the majority of your work obviously is, is in the trailer. How important is heading ability to you? Yeah, it's still very important in the yards um, because you don't want those shouldering dogs. As much as shouldering dogs in the yards can drive a lead uh, into a force yard or something like that, but heading dogs controlled right and pulled up early, I still I still want that. I still because I do I trial as well, so I still value a dog outside. I don't want thugs. It really drives me insane. Thugs. I hate dogs that niggle the back of a mob. I hate dogs that work too tight and close and and uh, picking sheep out and being bullies and stuff like that. So I find those dogs that have got nice heading ability uh, are the ones that respect their stock more and will stay off them. But they also, too, tend to be dogs that, oh, in, in my my camp anyway, I know there's some nice heading dogs, uh, dogs that do head really well that, that will bark, but I tend to find that they're the ones that when a sheep turns around and says game on, they'll just go whack and just and they'll give a nice nose bite and then get off and cover this. You know, they still want to cover nicely and, yeah, when blokes are paying three hundred dollars plus for crossbred ewes, and I'm in charge of handling them, I can't afford too many broken necks. So I need those dogs that cover nicely, and I find those dogs that have got nice heading ability tend to want to naturally do that anyway. So I don't have to teach it. And onto that, we we're talking about back and before. There's another question here from Rick Freeman. Um, one of my dogs is just not comfortable backing at this stage. Should I just re-sign her to only doing paddock work? And let the one in my team that enjoys backing um, do that. I know it would limit the first one in any trials that involve backing. What are your thoughts? Um, depending on how old the dog is, like I said, I want it doing left and right uh, and, and, you know, out in the paddock skills we're really concrete i want i want them lefts and rights going really well and i want the dog to have had experience because that's where the confidence comes from yeah as soon as you put them out of their comfort zone if it's a paddocky type dog and you it's not a natural backer and you're going to push it out of its comfort zone you need that confidence so you need enough work miles into it for the dog to go look you i don't like it but i believe in you enough i want to stay here and do it so um, like I said, I, I yeah, I get fifteen to twenty sheep in the race with the lead rope and hop up, and I'll I'll tow them up to the front and and show them where I want them to be. Um, I don't I don't do any juice juice. I don't do any get older in here. I don't do any speak 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 or any of that rubbish. I I just need the dog up and back. And so so yeah, so if he's done that grounding already and he's, he's comfortable with how the dog's traveling outside and the dog believes you and loves him everywhere else. You can you can push it a bit like that, and it'll still love you and still want to be there. So yeah, for me, I find it works. So I said Greg Prince probably wasn't as brutal as me. Like he, I think he did it over eight sheep or something like that. But I like you know fifteen or twenty. I want the dog to get there and almost go. You know, do I really want to be here? And then when it gets to the front, it goes. Oh, well, he's this amazing guy, and I give plenty of praise. Then anyone's been to a dog school with me, I I don't give praise until the job's done. I don't give good boys or anything during the exercise and, and I don't sell bullshit. You know, like a, I'm not going to pump your tyres up on the way around and there's plenty of blokes who disagree with me, which is fine, but I, I, 
I generally, once the job's done, then the praise comes. Like I said, I'm time poor. So if I, the biggest problem I find with people that are going to a dog school is their, their recall and ability to catch a dog after it's done a task. I just tap into that. So I use it at the end of the exercise. I go, good boy, come here, mate. Yeah, good boy. Yeah. And he comes and he give him a pat and everything. So when shit's going down and something's about to pile over a fence, I go, hey, mate, that'll do. Good boy. And he goes, oh, yeah, no worries. Job's done. And he comes all wandering over to me and I can catch him. And so, yeah, I, I tap into that. So and I'd start that in the dog paddock. When all the dogs are running, they're young pups. I'll call them away from 10 or 15 other dogs and I'll call the pup to me away from that distraction. And I start it, uh, that groundwork there doing that. Is it? You know, like I said, I don't have a great deal of spare time to dedicate to dog training. I'd love to do far more training, but yeah. So, so no. Look, I'd if I was Rick, I'd be I'd, I'd question that part first. Have I done enough of that groundwork? Dog loves me, then I can push it uh, in the race. Then, but certainly on the lead rope, I don't want it jumping out of the race and learning there's any other option bar staying in there. So yeah, don't let it learn anything you don't want it to know. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um. On from, you mentioned before, an annual rating system. Um, Joe Levin's actually asked if you can expand on that um, and the logic behind it. Have you got a template that you can send us all later as well? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, not, it's not too complicated. Um, I we were having a discussion on the road. Uh, so I did a bit of work when I started contracting early on with Jack Briscoe and a few other guys. And Sean Barrett was there and, I, and we were talking about stuff and, uh, and we talked about rating dogs and things about where they fitted in our camp and things and that's how it sort of started and and so yeah so it's just basically their ability in the paddock as far as you know so i'll put cast um you know how wide they cast it might be i don't go too in depth but you know cast how do they how do they cast are they straight are they teardrop are they are they you know like a football oval how do they cast and i rate them out of 10 for that I rate them out of 10 for um, their ability in the yards, you know, to, to shift stock and do they like the yards and, and how efficient are they in the yards. I don't have to back and bark and top knot, but just their ability to to get around a pen, um, squeeze between sheep on a fence and things. So I'll rate them out of 10 for their efficiency in the yards. Um, and, you know, like I said, I don't make it overly complicated. You can go right in depth. I know some blokes that, that do do a similar sort of thing go right in depth about stuff, but... Um, it's just yeah, paddock work. Um, what are their efficiencies in the paddock? Uh, then cast is a big part of that, and then so that's a separate category. Yard work, uh, backing, and then overall, um, you know, do I like them? So that category for me is important to do. I actually get along with them. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't get along with them and you butt heads with them all the time, it's a waste of time of being there. You've got to like them, or else you won't put the time into them. So, so yeah, so it's just it's paddock work, cast. Uh, yard work like basically efficiency in the yards then uh, the backing because uh, backing is a big part of what I do and then do I like them and then I just add all of those points up and whatever the column says at the end then I just put them put them in and and pretty much that's how I choose the dogs so any dogs that are getting sold out the other end are the ones that that finish in the bottom bottom four or so they're the ones that become sale dogs yeah do you find yeah. that your last category you like them um, is crucial to your other categories above it if you don't like a dog as much you're more brutal on it in the other categories no 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 you've got to remain very honest you yeah so you, you yeah you really do you can't 
uh, like I've, I've had dogs that I really like uh, but don't rate very well in the other categories and end up getting sold. Um, generally, those dogs I sell locally here and don't take them to auction because I like to know where they are if I want to use them at some stage. But for whatever reason, they're not efficient enough at what I do. A beautiful paddock dog, a dog called Mac, was by Kev out of Old Storm, and um, and he was beautiful, but he hated the yard work. Uh, but he was magnificent at paddock, starting to a bloke out the road, and he's lived a happy life, and I know exactly where he is if I want to use him. It's not that I didn't like him. He just... He just didn't suit what I was doing. So, so yeah, I, you've got to be really honest with how you grade them. Um, you can't get a hate on them, no, but but certainly, you know, about having them around. So do I like them? So what comes into do I like them comes into do they piss on stuff? Uh, do they sniff bitches? Do they do they fight other dogs in the camp? Um, do they come, you know, do they do they always, you know, are they slimy? Like a, a hated dog that sort of slinks around the back of the other dogs and doesn't want to come to you and slimes around, you know, those, those things will get you a low rating with me. <laughs> <laughs> They're frustrating. Yeah, they are. Like I said, I, in my camp, you know, if you've got 15 dogs and, and well, just, Tides turn now, but I used to have predominantly dogs instead of bitches, not be for any other reason besides just this grading system and work style. And the bitches have taken over from the dogs now, so I might have three or four bitches on in season in the camp at any one time. And my dog shed and paddock are all in one, so the kennels are there. The bitches don't get moved away; they'll be in the dog shed, and the dogs aren't allowed to go anywhere near them. So, if a bitch pisses on the ground, there's no dogs allowed to go and sniff that or lick it or piss on it or no one's allowed to do that if they do they they get locked up and they miss out on their free time so um that just keeps that in combined with communal feeding um you know helps a lot too puppies come in at you know right from well young age but eight weeks onwards and uh, and the dogs older dogs have got to put up with pups in amongst their face and communal feeding and not growl if they growl they get locked up and they don't get any more food and and the pups you know everyone's got to get along so Help, help that um, time poor. Does a bit. Yeah. Food on the ground, two beers, and uh, it depends about <laughs> a day, maybe three, and um, and then that's it. So they're funny, though. Like, they'll go and play, especially young ones. You've got a group of young ones there, and they'll go and play, and then as soon as I grab hold of the dog food and I go to cover it up, they all want to come and eat. They know exactly when you know, when they're going to cover it up, and they're like, oh, we're going to miss out. So... Yeah, but um, but no, look, that stuff just helps control things. But yeah, I don't, I don't like any of that sort of dominant stuff. You know, dogs sniffing bitches and carrying on around the camp. Everyone's got to be, you know, it's all got to, yeah, be calm. So. Good. And talking about that, mate, do you breed many pups? No, not really. I usually breed one litter a year most of the time, um, and it's only to replace what I've got. Um, I, over the years, I've bought pups in. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I've sort of got dogs around me that I like at the moment. And like I said, I'll, at the moment, for whatever reason, I've ended up with more bitches than I have dogs. So, uh, probably gives me a few more options that I can pick the dogs I want as opposed to trying to find pups I want. If I take, if I've got the bitch, I can take it to, you know, the dogs I, I like. So, um, that's, that's handy too. But I do, I do like outcross. I do follow a line. Um, back old Bert Lee when I started with him up at Omeo. Uh, so lucky enough for some old stockies here in Gippsland. So Dennis Neal and uh, old Charlie Robertson um, and a few guys like that uh, helped me out here in Gippsland. And uh, I was at a trial there one day and Craig Ovia had a bitch old Wingana Jess and, and she's she's you know been very, very uh, dominant. Uh, Dale Thompson's uh, old Tess was um, out of her and uh, Craig's bred some beautiful pups out of her and 
anyway, I, I watched Craig Worker there one day and she snuck in the corner of the pen and all the, these weathers that are in there just tried to climb out over the front. And I said to Charlie, I said, oh, geez, I, that's that's what I want. I just started contracting. I said, that's the sort of dog I like. A dog does nothing but gets a job done. And he said, well, you know, that's my breed. And he said, speak to Craig. He's going to breed her. And so I bought Cruz. And at the time, I, I bought um, I bought five pups at that stage, and uh, Kerry went mad because I paid between seven hundred and a thousand bucks each for these pups is ten years ago, and Kev was one of those. And um, I'd seen Dale work Cougar and Ali uh, at Omeo, uh, and I thought, oh, he's as ugly as I am, uh, and and you know those dogs respond to him really well. So uh, I went to Caston, and 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 uh, and Dale had Kev there, so I, I bought him, and. Um, and, and old Gordy McMaster said to me there in the pub afterwards, he, he said, where are you from, young fella? And I said, oh, my Gippsland. He said, oh, did you buy anything? I said, yeah, I bought a pup. He said, which one? And I said, oh, I told him. And he goes, oh, and Dale had two pups there. And I, I said, oh, I bought the second pup. He goes, good choice. And anyway, he was pretty right because it turned out to be okay, old Kev. But um, so I bought five pups and then the other three never went on to do anything. Um, I bought one from Jack Briscoe, one from Boyd Quinn and another one from a local farmer down the road who had handy dogs. And anyway, none of them sort of ran on to be much and Kevin Cruz were the only ones that were really the work style I liked and then when I looked at it Cruz's mum was Wingana Jess and Kev's grandmother on both sides was Wingana Jess so I I rang Craig and I said oh look I'm really keen on this I'll, I'll run with this these are the dogs who get along with he said well there's really nothing around and so between Craig and myself and Dale we've sort of tried to do a few joinings over the last few years to try and create a little bit more depth into into those dogs and what Charlie had sort of already started years ago so um so yeah so uh, yeah I've probably gone on and answered a few other questions along the way there too right. definitely that how do you go about to hear us less so that's fantastic <laughs> how do you go about picking your pups Picking them, um, well, over time, as the kids got older, the kids chose them for me, and sometimes they've been good and sometimes not so good. But um, it, so this is what I was I said before, we'll probably touch on later. So I don't know if this is a tried and true method, but uh, when I bought Chloe, my very first bitch, um, the pup off Jack Briscoe, she was the last pup left in the litter, and no one wanted her. Uh, none of the other litter mates did anything, and she's the only one that went on to do anything. Um, and then uh, Kev, uh, like I said, there was two pups left in that litter. Everyone had picked what they wanted. Dale took them to Casterton and I got Kev. Um, Bo was the last one left in his litter from Dale as well. Cruz was the only one left. Everyone had spoken for everything else. And Craig said, I've only got a red and tan bitch left. I said, all right, I'll take her. Sooty. Um, he was the only one wasn't working out of the litter. I bred him myself and everyone bought all the working pups and he was the only one wasn't working. So I kept him. None of the others really went on to do a great deal and Sooty's 10-year-old and still in my team. So I don't know if there's anything in that about keeping the only pup that's left over out of a litter. <laughs> I don't go for the runt or the biggest or whatever, but I've had good success with getting pups off people that everyone else has picked what they wanted out of it and, and left them behind. So, yeah, so anyway, so no, I, I just I try to find a pup that wants to be near me and with me and follow me and um, he doesn't have to pull on my jeans or anything, but, you know, certainly try and avoid anything that's a bit shy or anything like that but um i think opportunity makes them i take them to work and i chain them up down the back of the yards and i let them bark their heads off and i i think yeah opportunity you know locked in the cage till they're six or 12 months i see plenty of dogs at farms on chains 12 months old and haven't seen sheep yet and they let them off and they go and they're no good and get rid of them but um yeah i think opportunity just you keep showing them sheep as often as you can so yeah absolutely mate got a good system there mate why fix it if it's not broken 
Yeah, yeah. I'll look at you know, and I've got an opportunity with contracting to be able to run a few extras. You know, if I was working on farm, I could have four dogs, and that's about it. You know, I can run sort of fourteen or fifteen dogs, um, uh, you know, as a team and and young dogs, and bring them on. And then you know, there's there's options to now. You know, there's plenty of people that want to buy them. There's plenty of farmers. The guys that buy them off me now, I'd go used to train my own, but I can't be bothered anymore. I'll just get one off you because it's already got the basics are better than what I could do, and it's a dog I don't. You know, it's not going to suit my job. I don't need anymore. So, yeah. So the you know certainly there's for those dogs that don't fit there's plenty of options for them uh, is there anything you'd like to put in your line moving forward um i've so what i've done the last couple of years so uh, i bred a, a litter uh, by white's jimmy um by hilton's flynn uh which is pin uh, peter mead and simon balls we got um i campaigned him for a little while and i bred some out of that that moana that breeze got um is is that joining to old storm and so what i tried to do is is find dogs that had nice natural arcs so what i this is only my personal opinion um and it's open for discussion but what i've seen traveling around from western australia to tassie to you know new south and trialing and things lots of dogs that lack the ability to cover properly you know dogs will go to the nose and they'll go in a straight line and cut uh, and and then end up pushing sheep and hitting the fence. Um, I I really value a dog that when a sheep breaks rolls back like a quarter horse a bit and rolls back and and goes and blocks as opposed to going to meet them at the nose because um, less is more. Those dogs that want to roll on their haunches and, and, and roll back might go four or five feet and the sheep goes 10 feet, stops, comes back to the mob, whereas those ones that go to the nose, they end up 30 40, 50 metres away before they head them properly and turn around and come back and, and waste a lot of energy. So um, I've gone down that road of trying to breed some real nice natural arc in my dogs and, and conscious of the fact of not ending up being too soft and paddocky and, and not enough in the yards. Bo, Bo was purchased from Dale um, by Brew out of old Tess and I really rated Brew as a dog that I thought I could take to work and get a job done on a crutching trailer. Like he had a bit of grit and a bit of dirt about him. I like he didn't put up with any shit and, and I, I liked that and probably not ideal for trialling, although he won plenty. But, um, yeah, so I, um, I I valued him and so yeah, Bo – funny with him everything i'm breeding to bow at the moment's given me this real nice break uh, and bow's real real tight yardy back and barking dog and he's actually breeding me some really nice wide work and and not this nice roll and break so yeah look it's genetics is an amazing thing but yeah that's i've headed down that road and now i'm just gonna i want to put a bit yardy stuff in him so i bred a litter to rod cavill's grub um just to put a bit of grit and, and a bit of walk up tough hold draw a line in the sand stand the ground and uh, don't come past here so so yeah so constantly working on it but or like a dog that's you know res respects its stock and stays off and and not arcs around them nicely but still wants to take ground off stock i've got a bitch pup here at the moment by jimmy out of rosie and um and she's just she's beautiful she she's constantly trying to take ground off sheep but geez can she cover like hell and and, and why she covers so well is because she rolls back on her haunches and blocks um really well doesn't go to meet them at the nose yeah and while you're talking about traits there, um, Ross McIntosh has asked, what do you think are the most underrated traits um, or just trait in working dogs? Um, well, for me, I can only speak on my – desire is my number one thing. The dog's got to want to be there. I can't teach it anything if it doesn't want to be there. So if it's it – he can, it can have all the – you know, he can have Buddy Franklin – 
uh, in a dog, and he's got all this raw talent and everything, and he's amazing. And um, sorry for you rugby guys, but uh, we'll say Billy Slater, right? We've got Billy Slater, right? And and I. I can't harness Billy Slater if I can't, if he's got no desire to be there. As soon as I ask him to do something he doesn't want to do, if he wants to leave, I can't, I can't teach him anything. So I, for me, it's desire. Um, I see plenty of these things on Facebook and stuff like that. And people say, I want heading ability and, and temperament and I, I want trainability and all this stuff. Well, for me, that box has already been ticked. If you put a bitch and a dog together, then you believe that their temperament, the trainability, all that stuff's already there. So what do I need to be able to train that pup to make it uh, bring out the best in? Well, they're not all bred to be superstars. You know, they're they're they you know, they they've all got a certain amount of ability. So so it's our job is to get the maximum out of them. And so if they've got enough desire to want to be there when I push them past where they want to be naturally, they might be, uh, uh, you know, they might not like backing, and I really want to make them back because I, I need that to do. I've got to they've got to have enough desire to stay with me that when I show them something new, they don't want to leave me and run back to the kennel. So yeah. for me, it's not heart, it's not toughness, it's not walk-up strength, it's not any of that. You've already ticked all them boxes as far as I'm concerned. If you've joined a dog and a bitch, you know, if you've joined a weak bitch to a, a real strong, you know, lugging dog and you go, I'm going to have nice walk-up strength, well, yeah, it's, it's not right. But if you've ticked all those boxes already and you've got, I really like this bitch and this dog, and I, Matt Fletcher uh, spoke in WA, Matty Fletcher nailed it uh, for me. Um, he said, if you rate a dog and a bitch that well that you want to join them to, if you end up with uh, either one you should be happy if you end up with something in the middle you should be even happier but you should never expect more than what those dogs have got and I think we do that we breed two dogs together and expect a, you know a superman and when really we should only ever expect what either that bitch or the dog is bringing if we got if we rate them that much and we want to replicate one of them we should be happy so for me it's desire we've already ticked all them boxes already in temperament and everything like that no one's going to go and breed a real bad temperament dog that bites people and you know and 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 runs back to the kennel and then go on and end up with a good dog you know all them boxes have been ticked so Mm -hmm. so for me it's desire and off the back of that mate of desire and i absolutely that's one of my things as well but you ever um come across something that has has all that natural ability there, but just has a shitty attitude and goes, I just don't feel like it. Yep. Yeah, I've got one right at the moment. He's by Bo out of Cruise. Got all the talent in the world. If I sent you a video now, you'd say how much you want for him. He's got all the style and class and slides. You know, he gets around his sheep, arcs beautifully, naturally, both sides. He's, he's even both ways. He's unbelievable. And he's the slimy one I was talking about before. He'll slide around behind me and he won't, he'll he be in the shadows and I'm running the dogs and then he'll stick his nose under a bitch's tail and, and he knows, you know, he's 18 months, he knows it's not acceptable. And I'll just turn around and go, oi! And he just he'll clear out and go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got all the talent in the world, and I love him. But he just he's got to piss on stuff, and he's got to stick his nose under a bitch's tail whenever he gets a chance and lick piss off the ground, and that just drives me insane. (laughs) So, in that sense, if you have a dog that has all the talent in the world, and you know you like its work and everything, but you just can't get along with it. What do you do in that sense? Do you move it on or just? Yeah, it depends. So, look, Sooty, Sooty's great. Sooty's a slave. He's a workhorse. But Sooty shits in the back of the ute. So there's things I will put up with if you bring enough to the table, yeah. So I'm, and none of my dogs are perfect, you know. Yeah. So, but I don't tolerate fighting and I don't tolerate pissing on stuff and I don't tolerate dogs that lick bitches. But 
I can, yeah, if 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 he's if he's unbelievable and everything like that, I typically. But if I if I like his breeding and everything, and I and I like lots about him, I go, geez, I just you know. Then yeah, a local farmers out the road. I've usually got blokes. So I've got a couple of guys down here that uh, every sort of two or three years will will want a dog um, as the dogs get older and uh, things like that. They might get them off me at three or four, put two, you know, have two or three years out of them, and then want another one to come behind them just to lighten the load. So I strategically place those. That's why you won't see too many of them trotted out at a at an auction. I might I like them enough that I I'll put them there at a cheaper rate just as so I know where they are. Yeah. 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 And tell, tell me, mate, how, how do you go about starting a pup? That's um, actually a question here. Um, oh, I yeah, didn't, I don't want to Holmgren. start that. Here we go. Yeah. Who was that, Laura? Uh, Bob Holmgren from the US is actually off that. Yeah, so starting a pup. So um, my trainer sheep, uh, I'll, I'll try and put him on trainers. I used to have ducks and then the ducks were too messy, so I gave ducks away. But um the, so my trainer sheep, I don't like trainer sheep to be on my legs. I don't do the round yards or anything like that. Um, a bit of a UK influence with my dog schooling and things, which I can touch on too. But um, so I, I've got my trainer sheep uh, so that they don't want to be right on me or, or too close to me. I'll drop the pup on the ground so it's pretty safe. They don't want to run away. So a young pup, so I, I, I'll show them sheep at eight, eight, nine, ten weeks, something like that, and they don't have to set me a light. And if they don't do anything, I don't really care. Um, I'd like to see something by six months, um, at least something. Uh, if I if I know well, you know how they're bred and things like that, I like to see at least something come out of them by six months. But I just drop them on the trainer sheep and then just go for a walk and, and just let him get around. I don't care if they cross me. I don't care anything about that stuff. I just let the pup go. I want to see what side he favours, whether he goes to the head, how far off he wants to get. Does he walk in? Does he want to bite him on the head? Does he want to follow them around on the tail. I, I want to see all of those things naturally. So I don't want my trainer sheep to be on me. I just drop him on the ground, grab a beer and go for a walk and let him place himself on the sheep. I I don't believe that crossing is a problem on a young pup unless you command something and you let it happen. Um, so I'm happy for the pup to run around in amongst between me and the sheep and ignore me to start with. I, I don't want to tr start training the pup until the pup wants to work. So don't get hung up on on getting in there with the rake and pushing him around and, and trying to make it. And that's where the zhuzh zhuzh bullshit comes from. They get in there and then they go, oh, I've, I've bought this pup and my, my, my partner, well, I can say my wife because my wife's not happy with me at the moment. I bought a pup the other day. But, um, the, yeah, my, my partner's not happy with me. I bought this dog. Um, I really need some – I need something to take home to my partner to, to justify my, you know, my, my, my purchase. And and so, yeah, they start zhuzh, 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 and then the pup starts biting sheep and they come to a dog school and say, Travis, how do I stop my dog from biting sheep? And I say, don't let it learn in the first place. So – Drop him on the ground and let him wander around and see what he does. And if he if he doesn't do it, and if he's from a credible breeder and they give you a money back guarantee or any of those sorts of things, then maybe by the time he's twelve months, if he's not working sheep or doing something, then then you take him back and you get another one. But um, typically, I I put him on the ground. I will let him wander around. If they do nothing, I take him away and put another one. But if I really want to light a spark in him, I take him to work and chain him up down the back of the yard. And through frustration of not being able to get off, they it seems to wind him up. And I can sort of generally. Bring them on a bit by having them there tied up at the back of the pen yeah and you mentioned the uk influence there you said you could touch on you want to 
Yeah. Yeah. So I can go back to the start. So the Neil McDonald was the first school I did. I did three Neil McDonald schools before I did anybody else, and I think that was the best grounding I could ever have had. I respected livestock, but Neil Neil was so so passionate about uh, livestock and and looking after livestock and using dogs as a tool. So I did three schools with Neil, and that was ingrained in me. And then I did Greg Prince, and I and it was a just straight dog training school. So I did Greg and I went home and I trained Greg's way and with Neil still, but I, I, I still I, I added the Greg stuff to it and, and the dogs improved. Uh, and then in amongst that too, uh, or in amongst the, the Neil McDonald stuff, Sean Barrett, I was working with Sean, a uh, fella from Queensland, and um, and uh, he he sort of had a bit of Neil, a bit of um, Greg Prince and stuff like that. So uh, that was really good. And then, yeah, did Greg. And then um, Kathy Gooch uh, uh, said to me that she had Alan Owen coming out from the UK and I should come. So I went, I went, well, I think I foot paired her sheep and she said, oh, you know, you, you, you need to come to this dog school. And I said, oh, okay, it's only just around the corner, that'd be all right. So I went there and I said to him, he said, what have you got? And I said, oh, I've got this dog and I want a utility trialing, which is Kev. And I said, he just favour from one o'clock to three o'clock. Once he picked up a mob, he'd never balance behind a mob. He'd always favour one side. Uh, and he said, oh, yeah. And Greg told me to work him on a fence, uh, work the sheep on a fence and the dog couldn't get around to that spot, but it never fixed the problem. It just masked it. And so Alan said, all right, um, do two laps up and down the arena. So I did two laps up and down the arena and he hopped off the fence. He goes, yeah, I can fix that. And so we walked up and down the arena three times and, and uh, he remembered all of my whistles, all of my commands within those two laps up and down the arena. And he controlled my dog and everything, did it, bang. He goes, there you go, three times. He goes, all right, I, come down here, give it a cast and see how it goes. Anyway, I cast him and he picked the sheep up and he came down at about from sort of 12 to 11 and he never even come to one or three o'clock and I just went, holy God, this is amazing. So I went home and I trained the house down and that's when all of my trialling success started to come and then he came back again 12 months later and probably the only regret I have is I probably I should have done three or four private lessons with him during the week as well as the, um, the school on the weekend. Because uh, I didn't get as much time, but yeah, so so Alad um, in amongst that as well, and uh, I I don't know, I would probably be a little bit biased, but some of some of the methods did, compared to Australian methods of getting the same result, um, it, they're just chalk and cheese, and so I, I'm getting great results with um, with what I've you know learnt from Alad and applying that to some of the stuff, my own personal experiences, but also some of the stuff that I'd learnt from other guys, so. No, the UK stuff I got heaps out of and I can attribute that to my rise to success. I was always thereabouts. And then once I did uh, Allard schools, that was the difference between making open finals and winning championships. Yeah. And what was it that he made you do differently? Just the way that they train. Um, no no gimmicks and things. Oh, I'm running battery. Oh, battery's going low. Just hang on with me for a second. I'll That's go to right. the chat. Um, so, so yeah, so no round yards, uh, no rakes, no, um, yeah, no gimmicks, no, uh, yeah, no, no sheep in pens in the middle of the paddock or, um, you know, like I, I went to Greg Prince school and I cast Kev out across the paddock. He said, all oh, right, we've got some, the sheep are in the pen, cast your dog. So Kev went out and he went past the pen. He looked at the sheep and kept going and, and Greg laughed at me and he said, oh, he said, he said, if, if the 
he's off chasing rabbits <laughs> and, he, and he laughed and the crowd all laughed and I said well if, if he had to stop there and work them sheep in the pen I'd probably shoot him to be honest <laughs> so he tried to go through the fence and round up the sheep in the paddock out the back and I, I went I understand the concept and, and we've got to go home and be able to replicate what we've learned at the school so I just went home and trained my sheep to stand in the middle of the paddock without a pen and I can walk away 100 metres and leave them stand there and they'll stand and won't move and I'll be able to I can set my dog up. I can walk wherever I want and I can cast my dog from wherever I want and my sheep will just stand still and they won't follow me. They'll, they'll want to come to me when the dog's in the right spot, but if the dog's favouring one side of the mob, um, yeah, the, the sheep will wander away and they won't come on me. So it actually shows, exposes the dog's weaknesses at times too. So, so yeah, so Alad doesn't have any gimmicks or nothing besides his shepherd's crook. Uh, walks around and trains with that, and um, and yeah, no, you know, yeah, just just three or four good dog broke sheep, and as long as you can leave them stand still and walk away, you can set yourself up and show your dog what you want. And we all preach about you know show them, don't tell them and stuff, but there's really not a lot of that. There's poking in the ribs with a rake and putting them in the cauldron of round yard with six foot high fence, and you know it's, uh, that's not really show them, don't tell them. That's making them. Ah, so you still with us then? Yeah, yeah, you got me. Okay, just, just shut really quickly. I thought, oh wait, we just lost him for a sec. Uh, <laughs> absolutely, no, I can, uh, I can, I can see the benefits of all that, mate. And uh, thanks for sharing. Yeah, no worries. Though. There's plenty of videos out there to watch, but yeah, Alan's got a, a video, you know, time well spent. Um, you can look it up, and uh, yeah, like I said, uh, definitely going in person was worth it. But yeah, the video, but it's it's what everybody wants. I think we never stop learning. Eh? Go to as many dog schools as you can, and 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 look at what people do. And I say to people when they come to a dog school with me, I don't know everything. I Daniel Ball, uh, you, me, and the dog, they. Daniel approached me and he said, oh, I want to do dog schools and people have asked to have you. And I said, well, I don't know anything, mate, really. I, I said, you've got Joey. Joey's Joey's the best dog trainer in Australia. I said, you don't need me. And he said, well, we'll just get a different option, you know, a different view on it. And I looked at it like that and I said, well, yeah, it is just a different view. It's the same cake. We're all making the same cake. It's just a different way of putting it together. So, so yeah, so I, I said, oh, well, I'll show. But because of my grounding with Neil McDonald, I, I really i am so strong about stock and go to a dog trial and you know, judge and encourage and people will walk off and, and not score very well. And you go, how many sheep are we actually working out there? And they go, oh, I don't know, I've got no idea. And I said, we never actually looked at your sheep. I said, you barked your orders at your dog the whole time, but you never actually looked at your stock about how to create a flow or where they were facing or when to put bark on or when to back them or so so yeah so no it's uh, do as many schools as you can talk to people and, and have a bag of tricks because it might have three different things three different ways of fixing the one problem or, or, or getting the one thing you want done so i don't think anyone's got the perfect method it's just what works for them and the, their line of dog too possibly so yeah absolutely and um you've mentioned trialing a few times tonight how long have you been trialing for I did my first trial back in 2003. Like I said, Lloyd Parks and Corey Latham. I, Lloyd Park, the bloke I worked for, we used to put sheep on a gisman at Lloyd's and he was heavily involved with the Yard Dog Association Victoria back then. And uh, and he'd say, oh, young fella, you need to go to a dog trial. And I said, Lloyd, I don't know what I'm doing. So they dragged me to Dookie to a three-sheep trial and I cast the dogs out. The sheep took off and jumped the fence and, and away they went. And, and um and so, yeah, so I, I then went to either oh, utility championships at Yaroa and Graham Helser was running it there. And um, I went there and same deal. I cast the dogs out and they picked the sheep up and then they split up. Two went one way and one went another. And, and because I'd been working on farm, I, I, I said, stop, have a look. 
have a look and they'd find the one or find the two and put them back together. And I, anyway, I got, I got them to the yards. I got through the yards. I never got through the rest of the course. And I was standing around the fire that night and Graham comes up. He goes, where are you from, young fella? And, you know, and I said, oh, Mansfield. And he said, what dogs did you have? And I said, oh, I had a bit of trouble there. Oh, he's, I remember the dogs. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, and I'm having a beer. And he goes, you want some advice? And I said, oh, yeah, why not? And he goes, go home and work harder. And I went, all right. <laughs> so, so that was as simple as that. So I did. I went home and worked harder and did. Uh, I did I did four or five uh, encourage yard trials in 2006 and won the encourage handler of the year and then um, I changed I, I moved jobs and I, I went over to the other side of Geelong and I didn't do as many dog trials then I sort of picked a you know a few here and there and my wife got Q fever and um, we moved back home I was driving a truck for a bit and I went to a dog trial at Paul McPhail's at Beloka and uh, George Pickles was there and he had a crutching he had two crutching trailers and he was coming over this way to crutch and he he said to me, he said, oh, he said, you know, what do you do and this and that? And I said, oh, I'm driving a truck while I was working on a farm. He said, oh, you should buy this crutching trailer off me and, and take these sheep off me because I can't be bothered coming over here. So so through dog trialling, the contracting started. And so I said, oh, I could probably do that. And So come with 5,000 sheep. So I did that. And um, and then, yeah, they wanted their lambs marked and their neighbour wanted their sheep crutched. And then I'd become a contractor. And so then... Oh, that was, yeah, I said about 14 years ago, so 2008. Um, and then by 2010, I started trialling a bit more and, and I had a few more dogs going. And by 2012, old Jack won the Gippsland Dog of the Year and, and I bought Kev uh, then. And um, and then a sort of way we went. And then by, I got really serious. At, I, mean, I did Allard School and stuff and I, I got really serious 2016. Kev got kicked by a bull and ruptured his, um, ruptured his bowel in three spots and I nearly lost him. And anyway, I thought he'd, he'd never get back to work. He got down to 11 kilos and then he got up to about 15 and um, he nearly died about three times in infections and things like that. And anyway, I uh, took him to a trial at Ballarat and he won the Open. He'd only won one novice by then and he won the Open. And Gary Sharrick said, oh, geez, mate, bloody hell, he's good. And I said, oh, I'll wait till I get him fit. You know, this would be all right. And then I, I won four Opens in a row, including a utility trial. And Rod Cavill said to me, he said, uh, he said, you're going for the dog of the year? And I went, oh whatever I don't know he goes well you're bloody mad if you don't so mm -hmm. so away I went and he won the 2016 Victorian dog of the year and then he he placed behind Joey and Basil and got the state rep spot for the Australians and um and then yeah he, he won the state championship the following year and and yeah in amongst all of that he, he placed third in the Australian championship and yeah so he's he represented Victoria twice at the Australians and things and so yeah so in amongst that, the dog trialling really, I, I really put a heap of miles in then sort of 16, 17, 18 and, um, and then COVID came and slowed things up a bit. So, And why did trial, mate? Uh, just to test my dogs. I know they get the job done at work, but uh, are they really any good? You know, out in the field against my peers, um, they, and look, they, they do the job for me and I'm happy with, with, you know, happy to feed them. But, you know, do they really stack up? You know, on any given day, any weather, any any place, any yard set up, any breed of sheep, I rate myself to get the job done. I might not win, but very rarely will I get done by the clock, uh, you know, because as a contractor, I, I, I get paid to get the job done. So um, it's got to be clean enough, <laughs> you know, but, it, but yeah, get the job done. So uh, that's why I trialled them, just see if what I think is getting a job done at work is actually getting the job done in the real world too, so... Yeah. But I don't care what shape or colour or size they are either. They can they can be as ugly as sin or, or a little midget or whatever. If they've got the right work style, they'll stay in the camp. Yeah. And obviously we hear the debate 
real um, work dogs don't make good trial dogs and vice versa. You're doing both with your dogs. What's your opinion of that? Well, I would say if you look at the results um, of, of dogs uh, recently, especially, but you look at the people, I can speak for Victoria, but even New South Wales, but if you, you look at the people who are at the top of the tree, um, you know, Adam James, Bree Cudmore, you know, Benny Costa, Maddie Sherwood, you talk to all them guys that are at the top of the tree, Kate Jubb, um, you know, they're all working every day of the week and they're winning trials. So I suppose that speaks for it really. You know, Gary White, the dominant utility trialling, um, Nigel Brazier, you know, those guys, they're, they're working on farms every day of the week as well. So real work dogs. And like I said, you know, Kev, Kev's done some wonderful things and he's a far better work dog than he is trial dog. I butt heads with him in a trial because he just goes, why are we mucking around here, mate? Just get the gate open and I'll put him in there. Just stop being an idiot. And so, yeah, you know, trying to make things pretty. Um, but, yeah, he's won a lot of trials. I, I think he's had 15 lost sheep in his open career. He's won 22 opens, uh, utilities and yards. He's, he's placed... I think he's competed six times in utility championships in Victoria and he's placed in the top five, five out of the six times, um, you know, as high as second. Even last year at the age of nearly 10, he, he finished second behind Buster. And, you know, like they real work dogs still getting the job done. So, no, I, I don't believe that at all. But I think the job's pretty healthy and it comes back to how it's judged. Uh, you know, if the judges are fair and reasonable, Matty Sherwood, one of the best judges I love trialling under Matt because he's so practical um, and, and gives a, a good work dog an opportunity to show itself. So I think it really comes back to how it's judged more so than whether the dog's good enough or not. Absolutely, mate. If you mentioned some pretty good accolades there, mate, what's your most memorable uh, trialing achievement or, or um, just memory? Um, probably, yeah, probably Kev's win in the in the um, yard championships. Oh, I've got to get the date right. I think it's twenty eighteen. I think I can't remember now. Um, but he. So I went there. I had four open dogs. I had Pin, Dodge, Cruise, and Kev all pre qualified. Um, top 25, uh, Dodge had a lost sheep, uh, Cruz made the open final, Kev had a shocker, absolutely, just fighting me the whole way, the boys Gary Sherrick and um, Matthew Johnson were the judges and they wanted the sheep placed in a certain spot, both first two rounds Kev pushed them off course and it just drove me insane uh, uh, Pin had an absolute crack and run. Pin was in, in, in a great spot. So I had three dogs in the top 10. Uh, Kev came out in ninth spot and Basil was the reigning champ and, and uh, a top score uh, and he was going to come out in 10th. And um, so Cruz got disqualified. Uh, Gary, <laughs> Gary Sherrick, I... I thought Cruz was going to run in the put away, so I put my hand out to stop her and, and she put her head up and Gary thought that I'd patted her and so he disqualified me for touching her and I said, oh, look, guys, I, you know, I, I reached out to pat her on the lead rope. She pulled away from him, thought I was going to pull her ears. I said, mate, I don't pat him unless I invite him in. So I said, anyway, so he's like, oh, well, what do we want to do? And I said, look, don't worry about it. I've got two others. We won't worry about it. So I ran pin and pin was equal first with Clue and, and Joe. So I'm like, it's only two dogs left to go. Worst I can finish is second because Kev was eight points behind, I think, in the final. So in a yard trial, which is just way yeah. too much to make up. And so Nancy Weathers was there and she said, Travis, for Christ's sake, or if I go back to the, the third place at the yard uh, Australian Yard Championships at Bendigo, when Kev had the lost sheep, I put it back in and I sort of, I went, oh, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in the top 10 of the Australians, whatever. I'll, I'll, you know, I've done good, mate. We'll just roll through it. And I relaxed. John Laddie said to me, he said, you could see when you relaxed, Kev relaxed, and that's when it all happened. 
So I was there and Nancy Weather said, for Christ's sake, Travis, will you get off his bloody case and leave him alone? Just open the gates and get going. And I went, all right, let's relax. I've got a dog in the top three. I don't care. Or top two, doesn't matter. Let's go. So I went out there, picked him up, put him in, round through through the drench race, up on the trailer, off, uh, coming out of the out of the yard. And Gary Sharrick and Matthew said to me later on, they said, we got to there and we had to have a point off you. And the sheep was looking at Kevin. He opened his mouth and the sheep sort of almost put its head in its in his mouth and he didn't actually bite it, but they both panicked and took two points off him. So he ended up on a 98 and um, leapfrogged uh, Basil and and uh, I went from coming in in the lowest score to, to winning by a point and a half and come from nowhere. So um, I, I think he, he thoroughly deserved it. He was second the year before and he'd been so consistent. And um, he finished second in the dog of the year that year after. I won 19 Opens that year with Kev, Cruz, Pin and Dodge. And they all robbed wins off Kev because he finished behind them down the track. So uh, he, he lost the dog of the year by one point. He would have back-to-back dog of the years too. So, so the the state championship at Casterton was the one that yeah I I just rode him off and and he just came up and did it anyway. So he rode in the front seat and I gave him a twenty pack of nuggets on the way home and <laughs> Ruth Prick made me hand feed them to him. I put the box in front of him. He wouldn't eat them and I pick it up. He'd eat it. So yeah. So I'm just, I'm just the, the driver. Oh, that's gold. <laughs> so good. <laughs> On from that, there's actually a question here from um, Ross, Ross McIntosh. What would you like to see more of in trialling, um, i.e. longer casts, more sheep? Yeah, so, well, for yard trialling, I'd like to see more sheep, but uh, as a convener, I understand it's hard to get sheep, but I've got a video at home, the 91 New South Wales Yard Championship when, you know, Watch and Minute and Mac and Lucky and all those dogs were there and Steve Wayman and Chris Stapleton and all them guys, Lyndon Cooper judged it and all them bikes were in their prime, you know. They had 25 or 30 sheep or some big woolly sheep to put in the race and fill it and then fill the truck and it had to be full and the dog on top or else you couldn't get in. That that to me is, is, is what I would love to see, but I understand that it's not physically possible, so um, we can't have that. But, no, just more utility trials I, and more of these, you know, ultimate stock dogs. You know, the, the one weekend where you can go and have three runs, how many times you go to a trial and you have a run and, and you bomb out and you walk away kicking yourself? You know, you go to one of these ones where you've got a three-sheeper and a yard and a cattle or a utility added in there or something like that, you know, yeah, I'll, I bombed out in that, but I'll, I've got another run. That's all right. So, yeah, more of those. I, I, I love those competitions. Um, so, yeah, utility trialling. I think we see the best dogs really outside because you're exposed. In the yards, you can fumble your way around and you're protected by the fence. But uh, once you're outside, you're at the mercy of the gods. So, well, Absolutely, mate. And um, in your travels over the last 20-odd years trialling, mate, is there something that you see um, particularly inexperienced handlers do and you're like, if only, like, you know, or if you could give me some advice somewhere. Yeah, not listening to judges' talks. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had a meeting last night about this, and I judged at Stockdale uh, couple, um, last month, and um, I gave the judges' talk, and then people went around and, and did none of what I really asked for outside, and it's a utility trial, and carrying the sheep on the wrong side of them, letting the sheep get too far away or too far behind them. And I'm just like, I've given you all the info and the judges talk of where to carry and what to do. <laughs> so, yeah, the biggest downfall is people not listening and interpreting judges' talks properly. The judge can say, I'll oh, do this or do that, you know, but it's how people interpret it. So don't be shy to ask plenty of questions 
questions. If you don't understand, speak up because it's the difference between driving four hours to a trial and going home disappointed or going home nearly making a final or making a final and getting a ribbon. So don't be shy to ask questions. If people are how you're down, tell them to get stuff. And, and yeah, make sure you interpret the judges' talk properly. And when the judge is telling you what the draft sequence is, when every other idiot turns around and goes, is that the second three and the last one or is that number five and six and number 15? Walk away. <laughs> Don't listen to them. <laughs> That's where everyone stuffs it up. Definitely. And what about advice to someone coming into the industry? Um, dogs, ag, everything. Um, ag, certainly, you know, take opportunities. Of, you know, people like myself, I'm always looking for staff and happy to take people on. So if you want to ring somebody to go along and, and spend some time with them, whether it be unpaid or anything like that, you know, you can go along and do that. But, um, yeah, just mentors is probably the biggest thing. So if you're if you want to get into trialing, um, watch like I said, you know, Dale Thompson, for instance. Like I looked at Dale and I when I bought Kevin, I looked at the way he moved, the way he walked. Neil McDonald said to me when I went to the first school, he said, Mate, geez, chill out for Christ's sake. He said, Go around the corner and smoke a two paper spliff and just come back and just chill out. He said, You're marching around like you you know, you got a you've got a job on. He said, Just just chill out and relax. And so I watched Dale and Dale who, you know, same demeanour and same body language as me and and so you pick somebody who's got similar dogs to you or the same sort of body language or temperament that you've got and, and sort of, you know, no, I've never no don't know anybody that would tell anyone to go away, but try and find a mentor and, and latch onto them and, and pick their brains. And, you know, there's plenty of dog schools and people have got setups at home now to go and train at their house and things like that. So, yeah, certainly, you know, ask plenty of questions and, and, and find a good mentor, yeah. Uh, good advice, man. I'm glad you, know, you mentioned someone else that said uh, something that's not good for your health because between Daniel Pumper last week saying just keep rolling cigarettes and you saying have beers today, <laughs> I started to think it was a ranger thing, you know. So. Uh, <laughs> No, no, certainly don't condone drug use. But, yeah, I think Neil thought that was the best possible thing. But, you know, I probably thought if I went around the corner and had a half a dozen beers, I wouldn't come back. But <laughs> Probably right, mate. And on that note, mate, um, who would you like to see us sit down and have a chat with on Dog Talk? Yeah, well, like I said, I'm, I'm not sure of the health of, of Lloyd Parks, but, um, you know, Lloyd's a bloke who is, who's got a hell of a lot of knowledge and um, so I'm not sure what his health's like and uh, I haven't spoken to Lloyd for a few years now, but um, if Lloyd's not an option, uh, John Laddie, uh, you'll be doing well to try and pin him down, but if you can get John, he's judged multiple Australian championships, yard, Victorian yard championships, South Australians, um, he's had plenty of good dogs and, and could have won a lot of championships over the years, but he, you know, same deal as contractor, farmer and, and father and trying to make things happen. So, um, no, John, John's been great for me. John and Norm Severs have been two blokes that have been, you know, good mentors for me as far as judging and things go in reality. But Gordon Curtis was a bloke I had an unfortunate circumstance with in Western Australia a couple of years ago at the Australians where he disqualified me and, and then he bought me a beer later on and he said, can we have a truce? Uh, so he gave me two options or gave us all two options in the judges' talk and I thought I had it right. And anyway, he he, he backed out and, and uh, disqualified me still and he bought a beer for me and he said, oh, a bit of a truce. And so we had chit-chat around the fire and a few beers and it was all good. And um, he's a bloke, you know, he'd been in Western Australia, had some very good dogs, a very good dog handler, but I don't know a hell of a lot about him. So I'd be very keen to listen to, to Gordon Curtis and John Laddie and, and like I said, old Lloyd Parks. If, if he was fit enough, um, he'd be definitely one to be worth getting. He's one of the stalwarts of yard trialling and, and dogs in Victoria. So, 
Nah, awesome. Yeah, Thanks, cool. mate. Um, been trying to get hold. I had a good chat with uh, Gordon Curtis, mate, but internet reception's an issue for him yep. out there. So, uh, nah, let's, uh, let's hope technology improves and that's something we can work on. That's right. But, mate, you have, you're right, Laura? Yeah, I was just going to say there's been a stack of questions come through tonight. We haven't had a chance to get to all of them. Um, but pointy end of the night, is there a question that stood out? Yeah. Bag of enduro plus high-energy food for working dogs. Any, yeah, any enduro bag, any enduro bag these days. So Any enduro bag, that's right. There you go. Yeah. Uh, Rick's second question was the one um, uh, about training pups. I think it was, well, no, not training pups. What was Rick's second question about the backing? Um, yep. Yeah. His, his dog about the confidence, you know, do, when to do the backing and things like that. So it, it's something I get asked a fair bit. You know, people buy a pup and they want to do backing and barking straight away. And it, it really, it's it's a way to undo a lot of good breeding and, and everything. So, so yeah, so that is one that's really important. Get the other stuff right first and then do the backing later. Uh, awesome. Rick Freeman, avid listener. So I got his details there. Um, bag of Enduro coming your way. And, Trav, thanks for your time tonight. You're also going to have a bag of Enduro coming your way as well. No worries. Oh, if you want to give that away, you can. It's a long way to send down here to Victoria. But if you if you want to, um, Ross McIntosh um, threw a couple of good ones in there too. So you can, you can send it down to Ross if you like, and he can buy me a beer later. Oh, well, there you go, mate. Uh, Ross, if you want to um, reach out, if you're listening tonight, um, send us your details. Um, obviously, I have a beer there. So um, good on you, Trav, mate. That's uh, fantastic. No worries. No, thanks for having me. No, you're right. You haven't got off lightly yet, mate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, one last question. Head. Would yeah. you rather fight 20 horses the size of ducks or one duck the size of a horse? Yeah, this one I've been thinking a little bit about once once you guys contacted me. Uh, uh, so I've got I've got a couple of dogs here, one especially the white spread one. They, they, like I said, I like breeding chooks. And um, I've got a couple of dogs there that like killing chooks. Um, and the, the white one loves chooks. And so um, I reckon I'd take on 20 horses the size of ducks because I reckon I'd just open the dog trailer and there wouldn't be many left, I don't reckon. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon that'd be the way, mate. That'd be right. And, and Gaz will be listening to you tonight as well, mate. Yep. Yeah, I don't think I don't think Gaz has got any chooks. He'd probably agree with me. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, Trav, thank you very much for your time tonight. Uh, and all our viewers, uh, thank you and everyone that's going to listen back to this. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, please remember, we learn every day. And the day we stop learning, it will be a sad one for all of us. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Cheers, mate.